You're listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. Twenty twenty manages three whole days before kicking off another world war, filling all of us with a sort of light of hope and optimism that could easily be mistaken for a nuclear holocaust somewhere in the distance. Jess Phillips announces she will stand for Labour leader, marking a significant change from her former policy of not standing for the Labour leader whatsoever. Your mum suggests treating Australia with yoghurt, because that always helped whenever she felt like she was on fire. A judge has ruled that ethical veganism is a philosophical belief worthy of legal protection, and I think we can all agree that regardless of where we stand on the issue, it's worth it just for the blubbering meltdown it's inevitably going to put professional bellend Piers Morgan into. And finally, Ian Duncan Smith is awarded a knighthood in the New Year's honours, meaning the country will now have to refer to him as Sir That Murdering Cunt Ian Duncan Smith. Hello everybody and welcome to the first IC News of the new decade. It's the Roaring Twenties and just like radio started knitting together our communities a hundred years ago, we're here to come in your ears until you're positively clogged with the hot salty wax of news. I'd put the cotton bud down if I were you, you're only going to give yourself brain damage. Here at the network, our key USP is that we have access to the multiverse. That means if there's a big story here on Earth Prime, we can explore the best and worst case scenarios from the parallel dimensions surrounding us, giving all of you a unique insight into how things could have panned out. It's usually a handy technique for reassuring us all that things could always be worse, until you remember that this reality was the only one fucking stupid enough to elect Donald Trump as president. This week, Iran has vowed severe revenge for the anti-impeachment missile strike that killed military commander Qasem Soleimani in Baghdad. The cycle of drone strikes, interventionism and military entanglement in the Middle East seems to be the one Obama-era policy Trump has no problem with. John Bolton's moustache is now fully erect, and the world waits with bated breath to see just how the situation now escalates. Over here in the UK, Boris Johnson was not informed of the strike before it took place, meaning the Prime Minister now feels like one of his own children, utterly ignored by his floundering and incompetent prick of a daddy. Quite how the not-so-United Kingdom is going to be dragged into the escalating conflict remains to be seen. Is Boris Johnson thinking about the stain of the Iraq War still spreading like a shart in white boxes through Tony Blair's legacy? Or is he likely to cosy up to an American president who continues to cement his legacy of complete diplomatic chaos? It's quite the start to a new decade. Whatever the eventual outcome, for now, there's not a huge amount of coherent opposition to an authoritarian right happening anywhere on Earth Prime, least of all here in Britain. We sent Tom King in search of some radical new ideas on how the Labour Party might seek to sort out its leadership problems. Hello everyone, and welcome to 2020! Politically, we're in for a year of fresh starts and some are going to be distinctly fresher than others. Boris Johnson is about to put his rancid kipper of an oven-ready Brexit deal in the microwave, stinking out the office before pointing to the Polish woman emptying the bins and claiming, oh, she must have farted. Don't look at me. We'll have to wait and see if his hubris ever catches up with him, but in the meantime, it's the opposition's turn to reinvent themselves in an attempt to win back their traditional voters. 
with all the wrangling over trade agreements and domestic policy, the debate is going to be wide open, meaning Britain is going to need a robust Labour Party who can really square off against Johnson's new Conservatives. Taxi for Richard Bergen. Over on Earth Prime, a few names have already put themselves forward and a few others are currently hovering around the punch bowl, weighing up their options and wondering if they've got a sturdy enough sieve to fish out the enormous turds laid in it by the last election. Clive Lewis and Emily Thornbury are in. Rebecca Long-Bailey and Angela Rayner are almost definitely going to be. Keir Starmer seems to be the poster child for centrists with soggy crotches everywhere. Jess Phillips and Lisa Nandy might be in, and they didn't like Corbyn, meaning they disagree with the party membership, but agree with most of the country. Then there's Yvette Cooper, Dan Jarvis and Ian Lavery. It's a mixed bag, with left-leaning principles that range from the positively soft to the sort of engorged thumper you could smash an egg with. The challenge for Labour's future lies in finding a leader who can reunite this broad church. The political infighting between the different factions of the left has alienated voters and contributed towards keeping the party out of power. The electoral map is now a frozen blue wasteland. And if the centrist terror can't find a way to get along with the Corbynite Erebus, they're going to end up landlocked and eating each other. I'm here on Earth Alpha Mary Shelley 18, a world in which scientific advances in gene editing are unhampered by ethical codes of conduct around human cloning. Labour here have stayed radical, seeking a bold new answer to the question of the party leadership. I'm in a secret laboratory in Blythe, and in a few seconds the scientists here are going to run 10,000 volts through the patchwork creation of flesh, currently lying dead in front of me on the table. It's got Corbyn's principles, but not his dress sense. It's got Blair's popular appeal, but hands that aren't covered in Iraqi blood. It's got Starmer's eye for legal detail and Jess Phillips' media skills. There are bits of all of them woven through the DNA of the new creation, from Long Bailey to Rayner and Cooper, taking all of their positive traits and hopefully weaving them into an electoral force to be reckoned with. It's alive! Alive! It's alive! I'm not sure this is going to work out too well for you. For fuck's sake, how many times Ken Livingston's DNA does not go in the final sample? I'm Tom King with the Labour Party, going back to the drawing board once again, reporting for IC News. Oh, get back, creature, get back! Oh, wonderful. Fascism it is for everybody, then. Now, here at IC News, we don't just cover the big political stories of the day. We also go in search of the sort of entertainment stories that simply aren't covered by the mainstream media. Pop culture can be a lot more horrifying than a Twitter spat between millennials, and if you've been following the show, you'll be aware that we were the only broadcaster who brought you live coverage when Hammersmith was attacked by a towering hell beast taking the form of radio DJ Zoe Ball. Since then, our correspondent Red Redmond has been on the tail of another 90s icon. A few weeks ago, we learned that former Funhouse presenter Pat Sharp, missing and presumed dead following a plane crash, 
had in fact been shipwrecked and forced to survive alone for months. We now go to Red, who travelled with the police to the site where he was stranded. Thanks, Sam. I'm here on the uncharted island 200 miles off Hawaii, known only to local fishermen as Ka Lua Oka Pue Oki Diabolo. It's a mouthful, and it translates literally to the hole in the devil's penis. It was here that a shipwrecked Pat Shark claims to have survived five months with no company, but I've got to tell you, what was supposed to be harmless entertainment news is rapidly turning into something much more horrifying. It was nearly a month ago that the former Funhouse presenter and icon of 90s children's television was rescued from a makeshift raft by a Japanese fishing vessel in the Pacific. In the weeks since, the police have been questioning Mr. Sharp about just what happened to his private jet, which disappeared without a trace with the presumed loss of everyone on board. Sam, I'm not ashamed to say that after Zoe Ball's attack on Hammersmith, it's been a shaky few weeks for this reporter. I'm glad to tell you that three weeks at sea have hardened my resolve and restored my journalistic spirits. I'm now utterly free of fear, and it's my responsibility to tell you that Pat Sharp is not a harmless mullet that bobs along the nostalgic tide of your childhood memories. He's a monster, and the proof is here on this remote island. This apparent paradise hides a terrible secret. The small island is covered in trees, but a large mountain dominates its centre. A skull carved into the edifice, with the mouth forming a cavern that leads deep into the rock. It was there that the police and search teams, looking for any trace of the plane's wreckage and passengers, made a horrifying discovery. Inside a tidal pool linked to the ocean by a series of underwater caves, they found a hundred corpses staked to poles, all of them eaten from the chest down by sharks swimming into the cavern at high tide. The most concerning aspect of all of this, though, three of them are wearing modern airline uniforms, while others appear to be hundreds of years old, including some skeletized remains in what looks like conquistador armor. It seems that in years past, this was a site for ritualistic human sacrifice, offering human flesh up to the oceans, and somehow, here Pat Sharp lost his mind and murdered his flight crew. What's that sound? Ah, it's so... It's calling. What is it? Sam, I don't know what's happening here. The men, they're turning on each other, gouging out their own eyes. They're... The twins. The twins are here. Yes, I can feel them. They're in my bones. My blood whispering to my soul. Yes, my brothers, lash them, bind them, take them to the cave. The twins must be appeased. Blood for the mountain, blood for the seas. We offer ourselves willingly. We offer you our flesh. We Okay, bit weird. Not sure Krishnan Guri Murthy would have bothered throwing to that one, but what does he know? He still gels his hair like a teenager trying to finger a girl in a cinema. Back to Britain now, and it's time to look at a vastly altered electoral landscape. 
The last election saw a whole bunch of former Labour strongholds turning blue for the first time, like a divorced dad trying a sad stranglewank using his belt in the clothes rail in a travel lodge closet. Whether Brexit will be a success or the whole country simply David Carradine itself remains to be seen, but one thing is for certain. The Tories now hold northern seats that are going to expect something in return. We sent cheeky Yorkshire scamp Rod Mulholland to an earth where the north has already been the focus of government policy. Hi Sam, I'm Rob Mulholland, seventh of his name, king of the north and having a great time. E-buy gum, cover me balls in gravy and give me a laminated photo of Marcelo Bielsa so I can masturbate over it furiously. Now, given the extraordinary mortality rate of my parallel cells whilst working for this network, you might be wondering why I'm in such a chipper mood. The answer is simple. My assignment this week has landed me in absolute paradise for a cheeky Yorkshire lad like me. One of the big surprises of the election over on Earth Prime was the collapse of the Red Wall. Labour lost some of its traditional heartlands to the Conservatives, with voters turning to Boris Johnson over Jeremy Corbyn. Whether or not this remarkable shift is a true turning point in these constituencies, or a simple loan of political support in order to see Brexit delivered remains to be seen. If there's one thing I do know though, it's this. I can't speak for the whole of the North, but a Yorkshireman doesn't lend out a fucking thing without expecting something better in return. For now, Brexit means the Tories have some parts of the North by the bollocks. If Boris Johnson wants to keep the seats he's won, he's going to have to massage them, rolling them around delicately between his chubby little fingers like a contact juggler. He's made promises to invest in the future of the deprived towns and regions now supporting him, which in many cases was the kind of thing the EU Regional Development Fund was doing already, but never mind. And if he doesn't, Labour are going to exploit his failure to try and win back their seats. It's going to take more than hollow Cameron-era promises about a northern powerhouse that barely ever materialised to hold on to those constituencies. But what does a north that's been genuinely invested in actually look like? I'm here on Earth Beta Gravy Cares 17, a world in which the economic balance between north and south in the UK is reversed. Here, Liverpool is the port city that became the nation's capital, meaning it's the one reality where the Scouse sense of self-importance is actually justified. It's not just a friendly city with a thriving cultural scene, it's also a financial powerhouse, with the Liverpool accent considered the poshest in the country. Greatest city in the world! Yorkshire and the North East are the home counties of this earth, full of wealthy retirees, the rolling hills punctuated with opera houses, open-air theatres, and artisanal vegan tofu smokehouses. Now, simply having a fair share of the wealth would usually be enough in itself to put a smile on my face, but the real reason I'm grinning is that I'm here in Chelsea in central London, and it's a fucking shithole. There are boarded up windows everywhere, it stinks of piss, there are kids in Harris tweed jackets fighting over rinds of parmesan, and I'm pretty sure that's Jamie Lang shooting up in an alley over there. I'd like to show you some journalistic impartiality, but I've got to tell you, it's fucking hilarious. Oi, dickhead, how dare you fucking want it? Oh, this is amazing. I'm being mugged by a 14-year-old in a bright red hunting jacket. He's got a foxhound on a lead. 
Fucking hell, listen to you. You're a right posh cunt, aren't you? I ain't repeating myself. Hand over your wallet, or the dog rips your fucking throat out. Oh shit, I kind of forgot which way round things are here. Uh, this is the equivalent of being cornered with a staffy on a night out in Newcastle. Look, Sean Bean, I don't know what the fuck you're on about, but if you don't pay out soon, you're a dead man. Here's everything I have. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Just don't, don't hurt me. What the fuck's this? It's money. Money? This has got some skanky tart on it. Where's the queen? You know, Jane MacDonald. Are you having a fucking laugh? Do I look like a jerk to you? Fuck no, look, right, I'm just not from round here. I'm... Get him, Sebastian. <laughs> Northern puns. Rob Mulholland, number seven there, tragically killed in the line of duty once again. Not to worry, we'll be back next time with Rob Mulholland, number eight. There's a parallel universe where the entire country is one big Knaresborough, and they're ten a penny over there. Now, while the world either burns or threatens to explode into war at any moment, it's important to remember that on the individual human level there are still plenty of decent people who we ought to cherish and celebrate. This week we've given free reign to our undercover correspondent Danny Sutcliffe to search out some of those stories and to bring us something positive for the year ahead. Now, if you've not listened to us before, I should warn you, his methods are a little unorthodox, and we hired him as part of a therapy programme designed to wean 4chan addicts off online conspiracy theories. We now go live to wherever in the world he is. Happy New Year, Danny! Hey, Sam. It's a pleasure to be speaking to you from the distant future of 2020. Not much has changed, but pretty soon, if this climate change bollocks kicks off, we'll all be living underwater. It's only a new calendar year. You're not actually in the future. You, you do understand that, don't you? No, Sam, I've never been awake to see a New Year celebration happen before. Actually, that might be true. I'm normally absolutely smashed. I'm just pulling your leg, pal. I've not had this much clarity of thought for years. New Year, new me. I've given up the booze and drugs as part of my resolutions. Well, that's good to hear, Danny. A New Year's always an opportunity to take a positive new direction. Sorry, did I say resolutions? I meant bail conditions. Of course you did. Well, it's a sad story, really. We uh, we both touched the final brandy cream in an Aldi at the same time. Ridiculous thing to lose an eye over. Anyway, what can I do for you, pal? What can I do for... Danny, we are coming to you for the report on your undercover investigation. You know, your job, which we pay you for. All oh, right. Well, one... It's a podcast. I can't buy groceries with exposure. And two, I'm sorry. All the days kind of blur into one over the holidays, particularly in a cell. But I did get the work done before all that kicked off, so don't you worry. Glad to hear it. I understand you've got a New Year's story for us. That's right. I absolutely have. Jimmy Savile, Cyril Smith, Rolf Harris and now Ian Duncan Smith. Tell me, Sam, what have these four men got in common? I am 100% not answering that question. That's right. We're talking about the New Year honours, that magical time of year when the Queen gets a sword out and taps a bunch of public figures on the shoulder in order to reward them for the services. And then after that, Prince Andrew takes them to one side and asks them for some tips on how to get away with shit. 
Do you think we can maybe go one week without mentioning Prince Andrew? (laughs) He'd fucking like that, wouldn't he? You know me, Sam, I love a good conspiracy, and the New Year's Honours list is one of the most brazen of them all. Well, yeah, we know, Danny. You what? Well, we know. Everyone knows. There's not a single person in the country who doesn't look at that list every single year and think, oh, look, what a thoroughly public display of political corruption in action. There's always at least one name that merely highlights the lack of genuine meritocracy in politics, rewarding malicious and incompetent charlatans like Ian Duncan Smith, who have made political careers out of tyrannising the poor and vulnerable. Oh, right. Well, did you also know... It's a grotesque carnival of deference that entrenches political elitism, yeah. We know that too. Everyone knows. Fucking hell, really? Why do we put up with it then? Well, the political backhanders are usually snuck in among all the actually deserving ones. People that have genuinely excelled in their chosen fields or committed their lives to campaigning for meaningful change. And we live in a bizarrely supplicant society that desperately craves recognition from the utterly alien ruling class that it's put on a bizarre pedestal. That's probably part of it. Well, that's a bit fucking weird, isn't it? Still, makes my life easier. Leaves me with no work to do. Well, you actually could always start working on another story, Danny. Nah, you're all right. I think I've earned a break. And a drink. Happy New Year, pal. I'm going to go and kick some disabled tramps to death, try and figure out how many it takes to get a knighthood. Six? Seven? Danny, please don't do that. Fucking hell, I'm kidding. I know the going rate for this year is about 130,000. I'll never get all that done in an evening. See you, pal. Yep, that sounds about right. See ya, Danny. Fucking hell, Ian Duncan Smith. That brings us to the end of our broadcast. Time now for the stories you may have missed. A little bit like Graham Linehan and basic human decency. Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison has been criticised again for his response to the country's bushfire crisis after literally morphing into the dog in a burning house meme. Staying on global warming, Amazon has apparently threatened to fire staff who speak up on environmental issues, meaning they could soon be participating in the reckless deforestation of their own workforce. Boris Johnson's special advisor Dominic Cummings has put out a call for weirdos and misfits with odd skills to work in government, which is a pretty remarkable step up from the Prime Minister's cabinet appointments, who are generally weirdos and misfits with no skills whatsoever. Wiley has attacked Stormzy's partnership with Ed Sheeran, claiming Sheeran is only using grime music to gain clout, as opposed to Wiley himself, who is only using Stormzy. And finally, Sharon Stone has revealed that she uses the dating app Bumble, meaning that she's now received a tidal wave of middle-aged dick pics in an inbox that she refuses to close the legs of. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you, and good night. IC News updates with either a brand new episode or an extended cut of the previous week every Saturday. In this episode, you heard Alison June-Smith, Sam Gore, Tom King, Red Redmond, Rob Mulholland and Danny Sutcliffe. The original music is by Eddie French and additional sound effects come from freesound.org, either under the Creative Commons license or with full credit for the use of effects under the attribution license given in the podcast description. This podcast only exists because of the fans of ICU who support this endeavour through Patreon. Check out the page at patreon.com slash ICU stories to find out how you can get early access to the extended episodes and every ICU story for as little as a pound a month. Check out the podcast description to find out more about that. Until next week, thanks for listening, and if you've enjoyed this podcast, please take the time to share it, rate us, and leave us a review. It all goes a long way to helping the podcast grow.